This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Seal and I'm joined today by Kate Andrews and Katie Balls. Now, Kate, the GDP figures are out today. What do they tell us? So we have the latest update from the Office for National Statistics this morning looking at October's monthly GDP. And we saw a pretty ugly surprise that the economy contracted by 0.3% in October. This is worse than the 0% movement that economists had been predicting, obviously, 0% growth isn't good, but a small contraction is worse. I think the worst news, however, is that in the three months leading up to October, there was no growth. Monthly data can be tricky for all particular kinds of reasons. You can see small upticks, you can see small contractions. That doesn't tell us the full story. But what October's data is making people quite nervous about is that moving into Q4, and looking ahead to 2024, what state is the economy in? If we look back across the year, the economy has just managed to stay on the right side of a recession. We have not seen some amazing pro-growth year. We've we've seen things just ticking along. Now the question is, are, are we really at standstill? And if we're at standstill, is there also a chance of, of a mild recession? And you're hearing the R word a lot this morning, people saying, gosh, it's like this does not bode well for the coming months and for next year. Let's not forget that the Officer Budget Responsibility last month around the autumn statement downgraded its forecast for growth next year to just Again, you can't read too much into any one particular set of data, but this is not good news. And it it means that November and December will have to see the economy performing perhaps better than expected in in order to stay on the right side of this. And going into the new year for a prime minister who, who made one of his pledges to get growth going and to grow the economy, you know, what is Rishi Sunak going to be able to, to stand up and say at the end of the year and going into 2024, what's going to change next year mm-hmm. in which we're expecting to see like some kind of incredible uptick in growth? These are going to be bigger questions to him, given the fact that going into Q4, that this first set of data is not so good. Katie, uh, Kate teased it up nicely there. We had the final premise questions of the parliamentary year today. It was a sort of festive theme, but uh, we've discussed on this podcast before how often is the case that uh, as soon as Rishi Sunak gets a bit of good news, yesterday with the Rwanda vote, there was a bit of bad news today when we had the poll rating out which showed he slumped to his lowest level ever. How do you think today went for Rishi Sunak and the government? I still think it's a relatively good day and obviously relatively is doing a fair amount of work for Rishi Sunak in the sense that if you think about some of the press coverage earlier in the week, I think like, for example, the front pages on uh, Tuesday ahead of that vote, suggesting, you know, this could be Rishi Sunak being defeated by the Tory rebels. The fact it was that comfortable margin and the vote was not actually particularly close, even though it felt close. And I think, you know, there are are ways it could have been, has given, I think, Rishi Sunak a bit more authority and suggests that he can face down the rebels. Now, of course, you have a situation where, as many have pointed out, such as myself on Coffee House, this fight is far from over. You're going to have a situation in the new year when you'll take the battle on, on amendments. But if you look, and we looked at the figures briefly last night, of course, but now when you look at the figures, now they've chewed through the abstentions, it's 29 intended abstentions. Now, one of those, if, if you look 
at how they how they're being uh, labeled is Chris Skidmore who I don't think is voting in the same way necessarily as Marc Francois so I think there are questions as to how potent a force the five families as they're now known um are when it when it comes to this I think still think they can be a headache for Rishi Sunak when it comes to this bill but he looks stronger than he did yesterday and I think that you could see in the at Prime Minister's questions, when Rishi Sunak stood up to speak, there was a big cheer. You know, there's lots of noise from the backbenchers, which I think if you think about just a couple of weeks ago, perhaps it was the Greek Prime Minister PMQs. What we were talking about in this podcast was how, you know, actually behind him they were very silent. It felt as though there was much more energy um, in the Tory benches today. Also, Rishi Sunak did attempt to joke about the five families. It, it went past us when we watched it. We didn't quite understand. Keir Starmer having some fun. I think we can play the clip. But in the last week, his, his MPs, his MPs have said of him, he's not capable enough. He's inexperienced. He's arrogant. A, a really bad politician. Well, they're shouting. This is what they said. So, well, come on, come on. Who, who was it who said he's a really bad politician? Hands up. <laughs> they're shouting. Well, what about inexperienced? Who was that? Or, and now there's got to be some hands for this, he's got to go. So that's Keir Starmer obviously going on, uh, you know, the divided party, saying all these people, you know, they said things about you. And Rishi Sunak replying by saying, well, you know, at least the Conservative Party is pro-family, there are more families. And I think when we first heard it, and I said to other people in the lobby, thinking... Is this, is this about birth rates we haven't seen? Has something happened? But actually, it is in relation to the Marc Francois and last night, just before the vote, it was the five Tory families of the right. So all these different groups, the NRG, the ERG. I think it's a, so it's a joke that doesn't quite yet have huge resonance, but you can see him trying to um, make some humour of the situation. I think Keir Starmer also had quite a good line when he suggested, you know, some of your MPs are acting like they're mafia dons, you know, in that sense. And, and you do get that sense when it's, you know, these little press conferences. So I think that it was an all right Prime Minister's questions for Rishi Sunak. And I think that it is obviously one of those things which you say where, oh, he had something good. They look a bit stronger, even if, if even if the stakes were does a bill pass at second reading which obviously hasn't failed to do since the 80s it still is something where I think he gets some momentum from it but the polling suggesting you know his his favorability is now at his lowest ever and he's back where the Tories are that's obviously bad but imagine if he had lost the vote and then that polling had come out today so in in the worlds of alternative realities, I think that would be, you know, if if it was in those circumstances that came out, you'd have all these MPs saying, not only is this authority shot, he's also so unpopular, and it would add to that sense of confidence letters. So I, I still think he has more reason for cheer today. The family comment is even stranger, given the fact that last week they literally cracked down on family visas, which I think when it comes to the legal migration changes is one of the points that even quite a lot of conservatives are uncomfortable with, this idea that you know have to be earning well over um, the average wage in the UK to bring to be able to bring your spouse. So yeah, I think that's that's where, at least that's where my head first went. I was like, what, what are we talking about? Um, but you know, it's just one of those things, PMQs, it's getting increasingly frustrating to listen to when you have to listen to the government in particular talk about certain topics, including tax, including housing today. Kiyosama asked Rishi Sunak a question about 
where his 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 policies were for for those who would be sleeping rough over Christmas. And Rishi Sunak made a quit back. Well, if you care so much about housing, you know your party would have voted in a different way. And you know these are this is a conservative party that has has done so 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 little when it comes to housing. I mean they've they've rolled back the targets. They have not taken this issue seriously. The Labour Party says it will. We'll believe it when we see it. But it's just increasingly frustrating to, to listen to these such crucial areas of public policy get thrown back and forth when we just know very little is happening on it. Um, and these are issues that remain in the government's control, unlike unlike other things. I mean, one of the reasons that the economy is, is struggling so much and, and we get these October GDP figures is because interest rates are now relatively quite high and, and they're designed to be high to bring inflation down, but also um, to take heat out of the economy. That's how you do it. And, and that, that really puts pressure on the economy. And um, there's some things that are in their control. There's some things that aren't. But when it comes to their pledges and things that they say that they care about, you know, I think the public can spot where not enough action is being taken when they know it is in the government's control. Housing particularly is one of them. And away from Westminster, the big news in the day was Cardiff Bay. On his fifth anniversary as First Minister of Wales, Mark Drapeford announced he was resigning as Welsh Labour leader. There will now be an election to replace him there. Katie, rather interesting story. He was very popular during the pandemic. Uh, and now I think more recently polls have shown him declining. What's the story there? So there's been long been talk of tension between Keir Starmer and Mark Drakeford and the fact that Keir's team do not have that much time for Mark Drakeford. Um, now, often the Tories will try and do look at Wales as one of their attack lines and it has, I would say, pretty limited effect, impact, it's much to the frustration of the Tories sometimes, but it certainly is an uncomfortable issue sometimes for Keir Starmer because lots of the policies that he, you know, doesn't want to get into, he tries to stay away from this trying to be risk averse, a policy is being enacted by Welsh Labour. And therefore, there is something to say, well, what, want to know what a Labour government would look like? Look there. Now, again, I don't think this has cut through too much in terms of Westminster voting intention. Just look at the polls. But I think there has been a strain between Mark Drakeford and Keir Starmer in terms of their strategies and what they're trying to do. And not everything the Welsh government has done has been that seen as to be that helpful. I also think to your point about pandemic popularity, I mean, it's something that we've seen all across. I mean, Mark Drake was very popular during the pandemic and lots of people say, you know, he's had the best crisis. I think at one point there was a situation whereby he was the most popular politician in the UK. I remember being a poll um, and saying, you know, we want just a, a sensible figure. He's very cautious on lockdown and so forth. Um, but we have seen all incumbent governments really around the world are struggling. And if you look across the UK, um, if you look to the SNP, if you look to the Tories, and there's there's specific things, clearly in both those cases, they made it worse. But lots of the governments that initially had good polling during the pandemic have found that that post-pandemic hangover of having to pay all the money back, of having to deal with also mistakes that were made during the pandemic have seen some turn. You write an interesting blog today, James, about who the potential successor could be. Can you tell us a bit? Sure. Well, the two main frontrunners who seem best placed to replace him are Vaughan Gething and Jeremy Miles. Um, Gething was pretty well known during the pandemic because he was Minister for Health until 2021. Thereafter, he's had the economy brief. And then Miles is one of the people in the education department who is in charge of the Welsh language. And I think it will be interesting in terms of, as you say, the question about how the two of them, if one of them wins, how they'll deal with Starmer's office. And there's been, I think, a really big story here, which is that the reversal of their fortunes. 18 months ago, Mark Drakeford was 
Paul Popular and his party. Um, Keir Starmer was a drag on the ticket in Wales. Now the situation is reversed where Drakeford being seen as an asset electorally is no longer the case. And actually Keir Starmer, I imagine there'll be some frustration in the fact that actually uh, Labour is only polling in terms of Senate voting 10 points ahead of, of the Tories, whereas obviously it's about 20 points for the rest of the UK as a whole in general election polling. So it'll be interesting. I would say on the point about the Tories attack line, you know, Keir Starmer himself said last summer, 2022, that the blueprint for what we do in power is Wales. So then the Tories go, well, hang on a sec, we ought to scrutinise that record. But I think what will be interesting is in terms of, um, you know, the, the structure of the devolved government and trying to be a benefit to UK Labour, um, given, as we know, the different clashes that have happened between Andy Burnham and Central Office and sometimes um, Sadiq Khan and Labour HQ as well. So it'll be one to keep an eye on next year um, ahead of those, also the general election and then of course the Welsh elections which should be 2025. Thank you Katie, thank you Kate and thank you for listening to Coffee Eye Shots.